welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay, let's open with a few moments of silence with some inhale and exhales, deep inhales and deep exhales, and followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity. God, Hi, everyone. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic. And I've been sexually sober for 36 years and seven months, one day at a time. Um, I like to, for people who are new to this format, uh, this is a very different type of format for me. Um, I usually speak spontaneously. And in these meetings, I don't speak spontaneously except during the question and answer time uh, because I'm reading to you the articles, many of the articles I have written for the essay publication. So I am going to read you the article I wrote and then shut up and leave it to you guys and gals to ask questions and for me to give you some spontaneous responses. Uh, Before we begin, uh, I do want you to know why, how this talk came, this uh, article came up in the essay, why I wrote it. Uh, My wife and I would travel all over and to give talks and we were consistently asked about sex and marriage over and over again. And one day, it was in 2011 that I wrote the article, one day we were driving to Florida on a vacation and it's a 13-hour trip, at least, 14 hours to drive. And I got bored (laughs) driving 
this I do most of the driving. And I said to my wife, would you mind if I dictated an article about sex and marriage? And I wrote this article through my wife's hands <laughs> while I was driving to Florida. So I'm going to read to you the article, What About Sex in Marriage? This will take a few moments, a few minutes to read, and then the rest of the time gets turned over to you all. Task questions. Essay is not a fellowship of only celibate people. Even though I know many married members, as well as single members who are celibate, our sobriety definition allows for sex within marriage. In fact, many married members of our fellowship actually have sex in marriage and stay sober. Yet for some reason, I don't often hear the topic of healthy sexuality in marriage, mentioned in the essay meetings I attend. Why is it so difficult to speak about sex and marriage at meetings? Is it a feeling of disloyalty to our spouses? Do we still carry shame about sex in general? Do we think it is unfair to the single members? I personally feel that this topic is important to speak about and to bring into the light. When I was active in my disease, I was sexually demanding with my wife. When I had 11 months of sobriety, I became frightened that I could lose my sobriety. If I did not keep getting progressive victory over lust. This was back in early 1985, and there was no one I knew in SA at that time who had not relapsed during his or her first or second year of sobriety. I thought, everyone I know has relapsed. Does that mean I have to also? I had been such a low bottom drunk that I knew in my heart that a relapse for me would be my end. What was I to do? I realized that I needed to do the one thing I did not want to do, to ask my wife for a period of sexual abstinence. I was sure my wife would be aghast at such a suggestion, I sheepishly asked her if she would mind if we went on a short abstinent period. I was shocked by her immediate response with a look of disgust on her face. She said, certainly it's right. I have had enough sex with you to last me a lifetime. Most normal people would have understood what those words meant. The drunk that I was did not grasp the depth of those words 
until six weeks later when I said to her that I was now ready to end our abstinent period. To my great surprise, she said, I'm not ready to end it. I immediately got angry at her. I indignantly called my sponsor. I said to him, can you imagine that? I have done this great recovery deed of abstinence for six weeks, and my wife has shown me no appreciation. She had the audacity to say she is not ready to end the abstinence. He said, you are an addict. How do you know when to end abstinence? Let God decide the length of time by talking through your wife. It wasn't until 21 months later that God led my wife to say, she was ready to end the abstinence. During that 21 month period, a great paradox was revealed to me about myself. The less sex I had with my wife, the more I felt like a man. I had always thought that sex with my wife was what made me a man. My inner self was finally revealed to me. I just discovered that I could feel loved by my wife without sex. In sobriety, our marriage has been a 27-year journey toward healthiest sexual intimacy. By the way, this is eight years old. <laughs> 11 months after I first became sexually sober, we began a prolonged period of abstinence. After that, we had a period of having sexual intimacy only when my wife requested it. Then for years, we took turns requesting sexual intimacy. We got to the point where we each felt free to request or to reject it. That some years ago, a member at an essay meeting mentioned that he and his wife had a set date when they were sexually intimate. When I heard this, I thought it was crazy. My mind said, that idea would negate spontaneity in our marriage. However, with this, as with so much else in my recovery, I had to face my close-mindedness. At present, we practice this approach in our marriage and has worked well. As it turns out, spontaneity leaves the door open for my lust. It permits me to wonder whether this is the day we will be sexually intimate. Now that I know the day, it becomes clear to me that thoughts of sex on any other day are merely part of my sexual addiction trying to pop back in. This also permits my wife to know that when I am nice to her on the days that are not our special day, there is no ulterior motive behind my behavior. We're now at a point in our marriage where we are both comfortable with the frequency and style of our sexual intimacy. Sex in my marriage 
is not the core of my problem. When lust sneaks in, that is the problem. I am powerless over lust. And lust has a potential to sneak into our marital sexual intimacy as it did in other areas of our lives. So we need to deal with how to avoid lust creeping into the marital relationship. If sex is the primary channel of intimacy in my marriage, then lust will more likely invade my relationship. How can I prevent this? I often ask myself the following questions to help prevent such an invasion. One, am I working on improving other aspects of intimacy in our marriage? Two, am I having a regular date night with my spouse without sex being the payoff for the evening? Three, am I positively affirming my spouse throughout the week? Four, am I inwardly appreciating my wife and being grateful for our relationship? Five, am I being honest with my wife so that I am not saying yes, yes. but I really mean no? Is the yes merely a dishonest response based on fear that if I say no, my spouse will not have sex with me later in the day? Six, are we having intimate conversations about sex in our marriage? Seven, are compromises being reached concerning frequency of sexual intimacy? Eight, Am I asking my wife what she likes sexually and actually hearing what she says? Nine, is there romance in our relationship? 10, is my spouse my best friend? If not, why not? 11, are we having fun? I believe if we don't have fun in our relationships, lust will have an increased chance of sneaking into the sexual aspect of our intimacy. Many of us have been severely affected by our addiction. We know a lot about sex with self, pornography, and sex without intimacy, but know very little about romance and true spousal intimacy. Learning about intimacy in marriage has been a very important aspect of my recovery. As it says in our sobriety definition, our whole concept of sex begins to change. In the context of a healthy marriage, sex finds a simple and natural place it could never have before. And it becomes merely one of the things that flows from true union and committed marriage. And even here, we have discovered that sex is optional. That's in the essay book, page 193. That's it, guys and gals. Which essay was that? Which uh, edition was that in specifically, Harvey? Maybe I can pull it up. Essay, June 2011. June 2011. Okay. Well, while we're, while we're going through this, I'll try and 
put it out into a PDF for everyone and, and share it for everyone while we're here. It was an amazing essay, and um, this isn't the Daniel show because I could share for so long about how much this the, your journey and this whole topic has affected my recovery. Um, and so I really appreciate it. Um, but we're going to go for questions, and anyone who has any questions, please raise your hand. And reminder that we have uh, around 145 people in the room, so try and keep them short. Um, so that we can get to everyone and you can send me the questions privately as well. Meanwhile, we have one hand up from Israel. Uh, go ahead, Israel, please. Hey, um, grateful to be here. My name is Israel from Israel and I'm I'm good man and sexolic. Um, the question is um, about, uh, a little bit uncomfortable to speak about it, but uh, Sexual dysfunction. When uh, I mean, when I I feel that uh, that I'm dysfunctional sexually sometimes when when we have intimacy with my wife. Um, to take some medicaments, uh, it's okay. How should they? How many? Uh, how much should they think about it and deal with this? Some direction about it. Well. When I read to you the article, I came across this word I wrote in it that I don't believe. <laughs> I don't know how it got in there. It said healthy sexuality. I don't believe I'm capable of healthy sexuality. I'm capable of healthier sexuality. So in Nashville, 20 25 years ago, a sex therapist gave the whole group a talk on sexuality. And she kept saying, oh, it's going to be on healthy sexuality. And I said, there's no way it's going to be on healthy sexuality. Because we're sex addicts. <laughs> so even when we're functioning adequately, in quotes, a lot of times we're not <laughs> because we either binge or purge like every, like other addictions. So we have the anorexic aspect of sexual addiction in our fellowship. Many guys and gals are anorexic. And it just is. We learned that the hard way because some friends of ours, we were giving a talk early on in recovery, and we were talking about, you know, not overdoing it. And um, they came up to us and said, no, in our marriage, we hardly ever had sex. We need to learn how to do it more frequently. See, this is not a cookie-cutter approach. Now, in uh, 10 days, I'll be 81. I use Viagra. My wife calls it vitamin V. She said, you can take your vitamin V tonight. <laughs> it just is. You know, it's a natural phenomenon. 
where blood vessels aren't like they they are when you're 16 or 18. Uh, but let's not fool ourselves. Sexual intimacy does not have to mean, and I'm going to, I am not going to be explicit here. Usually, as you know, I'm very explicit. But it does not have to only include your penis. And the toughest thing, toughest thing is to help people in the program understand female and male physiology. Very difficult. Many men in the program do not have, have such minimal ideas of female anatomy. And it, it's just so difficult to get some of this across. We have been, I'm talking as a male now, it's female, I can't talk for. But we have been programmed to think that everything's about our male genitalia. Pornography's based on it. Everything's based on it. The size, the this, the that. My God. You know, my... <laughs> it's, it's our ego that thinks that's how it goes. It's very hard for me not to make little jokes here, I want you to know. But <laughs> I try to keep it okay. But you know, we could be replaced with a vibrator very easily and probably not be missed at all. Who the heck are we kidding? We we people who have watched pornography, everything you could imagine, and we get up here and we get tense about talking about physiology, you know, and anatomy. So there, there is no reason that you can't be sexually intimate with your wife even if your, if your genitalia isn't responding. And that's another issue. And then I'm going to ask the next question. The other issue is for males who come into the program are so afraid they're not going to get aroused if they don't have lust fantasies. Well, my sponsor taught me early on Harvey, rabbits do it. Rabbits do it. It's not a big mental function. It's probably more related to phenomes and things that you smell and all kinds of things. But we have been through the ringer with what we have seen. And done. So let me explain this in another way. Many of us learned sexually to shoot up heroin. 
meaning to get things that are so stimulating that our brain serotonin and all the chemicals go wild. And then we need a stronger dose. So then you go back to your home and your wife doesn't want to do all kinds of elaborate behavior. And it's tough. It's a whole different programming. The other problem I had, I don't want to make this a lecture, so I have to keep an eye. It didn't matter how much I asked my wife what she liked. I could never hear it. could never hear it. How could she like that? That's not what it's supposed to be. And I keep doing it the way I thought it should be. This I'm self-centered, selfish, selfishness, self-centeredness. That is the core of my problem. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion and self-seeking. We step on the toes of others, especially our wives are in reverse, the wives with the husbands. Okay, next question. Thanks. We have a lot of questions coming in, and I put a link to the actual article um, into the chat. So anybody that didn't notice that, they can go to the chat and find the link to download the article that Harvey read. Okay, Mohammed, go ahead. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Harvey. I'm Mohammed Singh Saholik, uh, seeking sobriety for today. Um, I want to share something. Last, mm, I met my wife on January last year. So, no, sorry, December last year. So it's almost a year we are not seeing each other because she's living abroad and I'm living in another country. And now I don't have the, uh, I'm not thinking about having sex with her or fantasizing or planning or to meet her. Uh, I feel that I don't have the, I don't have a kind of uh, tendency towards that. So is that part of the progressive victory over that problem? Or, and the question is, how can I say that I'm going, uh, I'm in the track, I'm going in the right way while dealing with that issue, with the abstinence or not? Thanks. Get rid of that word right, the right way. Just get rid of it. Who the hell is anyone in this program to know the right way or the wrong way? What I mean is if it's working for you, it's working for you. you know, I just read this article just this morning about the difference between Bill W. and Dr. Bob. Bill W. was tremendously controlling, wanting people to sober up in a set regimen. And Dr. Bob was just so much more easygoing and loose about it all. This is not a cookie-cutter program. We are all pioneers. All pioneers. 
And Roy said it beautifully in the crucible of our experience. So going back to your question, Mohammed, isn't necessarily about the right or wrong of it, but the question of the other parts of that article. How are you to having dates, even if it's through Zoom? How are you having intimacy in your marriage? How can you bring her to visit you more or you visit her? See, this, it, we tend to focus on the sexual aspect. And yet, the whole sex act takes such a short time. If you think about how quick, especially most of the guys in the program, tend to not take very long anyway in the sex act. It's all these other aspects that we tend to minimize about sexual intimacy. So I want to tell you this little story. I went to, took my uh, son that time he was in nursing school and my wife to a medical conference on healthy sexuality. And all of a sudden, I was new in recovery. They said, are there two people here, a man and a woman who are willing to stand up and show their sex organs? Man. I said, what did I drag my wife into? What did I drag me into and my son? And all of a sudden, this man and this woman in the front row stood up and he said, thank you. It wasn't their genitalia. They were their sex organs. Their humankind. Not their genit genitals. We're talking about sexuality, intimacy, not genitals. Tough concept. And I, I've shared this before. I'm hopeless with this. I'm hopeless. I have... I had no idea what romance was. None. You know, I've been married of 59 years. My wife was 17 when I met her. I was 19. She learned sex from a sex addict. Do you know that I watch TV shows that teach me how to be, do it? Not the sex act. I know the sex act. I don't know any of the other stuff. And of all things, I watch these South Korean soap operas. <laughs> I'm hooked on South. First of all, they don't have explicit sex. But I see things because they have, it's called honor, 
honorifics. They're very formal with each other. And all of a sudden, I'll see a man gently touching his wife or his girlfriend's face, gently touching it. And they're standing up at a store somewhere, saying, wow, what's that? That's a intimate touch that had nothing to do with sex, the sex act of intercourse. I'm learning. I'm learning that first a sex addict, then a love cripple. I have trouble identifying love if I fell over it like it was a log in the sidewalk. I'd have to fall on it. (laughs) A few years ago, I said to my wife, Nancy, you never say you love me. And she said, I always say I love you. (laughs) I said, you don't say it. So one day I'm in my meditation room and she opens the door, puts her head in, says, I love you, Harvey. Two minutes later, she came back. She said, Harvey, did you hear that I had put my head in the room and said, I love you? And I said, no, I didn't hear. See, I can't hear it. I'm a love cripple. So I'm bringing this love cripple into a marital bed, thinking it's all about the genitals. Okay. Getting carried away here. Next question. Literally talking about my relationship with my wife here. It's difficult to hear. But uh, uh, we have a really good question here about, um, uh, which probably a lot of people would relate to. So that, that, that's where it's coming next. Is that I, My problem is that my wife is against going into abstinence. My addiction was mostly having sex with myself. What? what how do we deal with people whose, whose wives are not willing to go into abstinence, but they kind of, you know, for themselves, they need it? What, what do you say? How the hell do you know what you need? <laughs> if you are hooked on masturbation, with which most of us were, it meant intercourse, it's not your your focus. And you know, let me back up. It took many years in my recovery for me to figure out what my frequency, a natural frequency was. Not how often I masturbated, not how often I had it, 
because by the time I came into recovery, I was having to have orgasms every few hours. That's how ill I became. I, over the years, had to be honest with myself about what is my physiology. And then my wife had to get in touch with it about her physiology. Not how much we want sex or don't want sex. What is our physiology over it? And that's the section I wrote about, the compromises. How did I figure out my frequency? A man who is so promiscuous like I was, who was having such frequency with his wife and masturbating all the time. How could I know it? After many, many years in recovery, I would notice that if after two, three weeks, I wasn't having intercourse, I would start getting erotic dreams. And so mine turned out to be something in that range. Uh, my wife and I have had this compromise because it's easier to keep track of it. We have sex the same night at the same time once a week. <laughs> That's our solution. It's worked wonders for us. For other people, it might not work. Each of you just have to become honest with yourself. And if you're not crazy about intercourse, then you'll just need to tell your wife and you two can figure out what else you could do with each other. That might not include you having to do intercourse. We've all been so programmed, even as if non-addicts about sex, that it's very difficult to do what the big book says in chapter five, to let go of old ideas. Yeah. Old ideas about what is a sex act with my wife? What can I do? What can't I do? And I'm not going to go into details. I cannot do certain things in my marital bed without it showing up in my head the next day. So I don't do them. I don't want to have any kind of fantasy in my head because I'm too ill. And so I've had to learn what my sponsor taught me. That this is not about sex. It's about comfort. I need to remain comfortable. Or else I'm going to go into default, which is lust. And I don't lust today. But I take all kinds of precautions.
by the way, part of my sobriety definition is involved with sex and marriage. I was so frequent with my wife that if I ever have sex, which doesn't happen, but twice in one day with my wife two separate times, that would be a loss of my sexual sobriety. It's not in it. I've never heard anyone else have that. It's for my bottom line. My bottom line. This program is about to thine own self be true. Only way not to get this program is not to be honest with yourself. Next question. Okay, so we have a lot of questions coming in, just to let you know. And anyone that I call upon who's on Zoom, uh, not to put you on the spot, feel free to uh, turn your video on while you're speaking so that Harvey can see who you're speaking to, but you don't obviously have to. Uh, the next question is from Asha. Asha H., you want to ask a question? Yeah, hi, Harvey. Thank you for all your shares. I really appreciate it. Um, sex and marriage is one of my biggest struggles um, since I came into the program. Just like you said, um, I've had enough sex with my wife, enough for the rest of my lifetime. Um, just there's one thing which, right when the beginning of your share, which you said, and you just repeated it now, about scheduled sex once a week. So I have tried that um, a few weeks ago. I've tried that um, a few months ago, actually. Uh, we tried doing um, scheduled sex once a week. And for me, Personally, I felt that my wife felt obligated to me and I felt like I'm having basically sex with a sex doll. She wasn't really interested in it. It's just basically that she had the thing that we had to have sex that day. So it was very uncomfortable for me and that I felt like it's not real connection and it's not real sex. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, and it has nothing to do with sex. I spoke about it past few weeks too. It's the word struggle. Whenever you struggle, you will always lose. The program is not about struggling. And so many people, so many people in recovery use that term. We surrender, we don't struggle. Yes, it's about comfort. We give up. Okay. So let's use your example. It's a wonderful example. First of all, it took us about 28 years to figure out what we needed, okay, for our compulsion. <laughs> so don't think in a few years, whoo, Manna from heaven, it appears, the solutions appear, the magic. Harvey says, no, Harvey says he's a sicko and that it took me decades and hopefully it won't take you as long as it took me, hopefully. Yeah. So, this is number one, where these other pieces come in. 
sitting down and asking your spouse what they really like. You know, in our brains, the men, I'm sorry, women, because I can't talk for you. And if anyone, eventually, if someone wants to contribute. But men are taught women's breasts are the things. Well, if you're not really into it, breasts are very sensitive. It's like all of a sudden grabbing a guy's testicles when he's not ready. It's painful and, and uncomfortable. We are taught such garbage. We're taught by men about men dealing with women. But does a guy actually say to his wife, I need instructions? That's surrender. And by the way, it's not only about sex. It's about everyday life. What, you know, there's this great book about love languages. And we talk different love languages. We don't even understand each other a lot of times. You know, I need a lot of appreciation and stuff. You know, my wife needs to know I put my dirty laundry in the hamper. <laughs> That's her love language. So how to communicate is so tough, especially about sex. Do you know I have to pray and say, God, let me talk to my wife about sex? I'm not talking about in the bed. <laughs> not about it during it, sexuality. When you're just by yourself. And also, a guy comes in and says, I'm ready. The woman has been taken care of a lot of times, not every family, but perhaps in your family, been taking care of a lot of kids all day long, or they've been out working. And the husband thinks they should be right with it. You know, how much communications going on. Um, as I'm getting more recovery, I'm facing me more. I'm a loner. I'm really a loner. Loners have tough times communicating with people they really care about. So this is a real process of surrender and you too will find the solution. Once you say it's hopeless. <laughs> I give up. I give up. By the way, I do not have intercourse with my wife without first getting by the side of the bed 
on my knees and doing the third step and giving the entire act to my higher power, whatever the hell that means. Whatever that means. But I give, I surrender the act. It was excruciating for me, very embarrassing at first to get on my knees to do the third step prayer before I hop into a bed with my wife. But I do it every night before I go to sleep anyway. So that helps. How did your wife take it, Harvey? The what? How did your wife take it when she saw you going down on the knees? Was she triggered? I mean, I pray on my knees the third step prayer twice a day. When I wake up in the morning, I get on my knees and I give the day to God. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. I'm inundated with self. So sex is just one whole part of the surrendered day. The steps, God of my understanding, the steps, my sponsor and meetings are not part of my life. They are my life. So, in, I'm not ignoring your question. So if I had diabetes and before I had a sex act or I did whatever, I needed to take my insulin, would I give a crap what my wife thought? If I didn't take my medicine, I'd be gone. I'd be messed up. My wife is no say-so over my medication. Yes, I'll die from this disease. Did I come a little close to answering your question, Arshad? Yes, yes, thank you. Not that you'd be worried if you said no, what will he say next? Yeah. Uh, okay, we've got a written question. Even no, though I'm not I'm finished with Usher yet. Okay. Usher, I want you to show you how good your marriage is. Okay? Share with the group five things you're grateful for about your marriage with your wife. I'm grateful that my wife is willing to continue on with me. She's willing to live with me. I'm grateful that my wife makes me dinner every night. She should have just ran away from me, not left me with anything. I'm grateful that she is um, washing my laundry, cleaning my house, accepting me as an addict even though it's even though it's hard for her and i'm just grateful for her in general i'm even grateful that she is considering of having another child with me now once you go into gratitude these issues about sex and how often and how much or not enough or too much it tends to disappear 
It's such a small part of our life that we make so big. Okay, next question. Even though I'm a sex addict, can I have no needs or expectations regarding sex with my spouse? Or is this just something I have to give up altogether as a part of my disease? I find it very discouraging to maybe not have the sexual aspect as a part of my marriage relationship. Yeah, I understand. You know, when my sponsor told me, let God talk through Nancy, when our abstinence would be over, and after about 20 months, 21 months, I figured God fell asleep. I mean, he wasn't saying anything to my wife. And I stood at that turning point. Am I willing to stay married to my wife, knowing we'll never have sex again? And something clipped inside. I said, yes. I'm willing to stay married to her. Within a day, all of a sudden she asked me for sex. What must have happened? Somehow, subliminally, she felt safe. I had turned a corner about it. Now, a lot of times when sex doesn't heal in a marriage, it has nothing to do with sex, in my opinion. The marriage is having some problems of communication, probably much, not only sexually, statistically it's having other problems that need to be worked on. You know, I'm a liar, a thief, and a cheat when I'm in my addiction. But what happens when you sober up a horse thief? You get a sober horse thief. So, so for years, I had to grow about to, to inventory me and work with a sponsor and get help and therapy and treatments to deal with my other issues that were affecting the marriage. Next question. Okay, Ari, go ahead, Ari, and ask a question. Hey, Arvi, thank you for the talk. I really appreciate it. Uh, what I heard you say is that there's romance in marriage, and that is not the same as sex marriage. I don't know the difference. Uh, romance to me means foreplay. Um, I understand I could have a romantic dinner or play a game or something of that nature. But can you elaborate what romance is to you? And just to add to that, Harvey, someone else had asked in private if you could talk more about the difference between intimacy and lust. But that's the same question in a different in a different form. Thanks, Harvey.
my wife loves to play cards and rummy cube and all these games. I can't stand them. We moved to a retirement center. She plays once or twice a day. She's like in hog heaven, okay? She had a game last night. It got canceled. I said to her, honey, would you like to play rummy cube with me? That was my romance for her. Did you let her win? Our sex night isn't last night anyway, so it had no bearing on it. <laughs> okay. My wife has this terrible sense of direction. It took me years to accept it. She, I never have to take her to a new place. Just take her outside. She thinks we're in a new place. Well, she had a doctor's appointment this morning, first time for an a special kind of x-ray. And I volunteered, even though it was messing my morning plans up, and said, honey, would you like me to drive you there, since it's your first time? That was romance for us. And she kept thanking me. She never thanks me about sex. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been thanked for having sex with her. She <laughs> couldn't stop thanking me. Isn't that morning foreplay? To a, to a sex addict, everything's foreplay. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, it was coming from a very different place than foreplay. Foreplay hmm. comes from, and nothing wrong with foreplay, but foreplay for me comes from my selfishness and self-centeredness. I'm doing something to get something back in return. And sometimes that return is just a physical response from the other person. So it's really my ego still at work. This came from uh, this came from the same place that when I'm busy and yet a sponsee calls or someone I don't know calls for help, I'm able to pick up the phone to help. It's a different location in me. Next question. Um, we have a question from Mike. Mike, I don't know if you want to share what MFID stands for. <laughs> uh, yes, this is uh, Mike from San Antonio. Uh, and uh, I call my disease a mother effing insidious disease because it is life or death for me. Uh, Harvey, you mentioned uh, in your article uh, how I can prevent uh, lust from coming in. And you had two questions. Am I working on improving other aspects of intimacy in our marriage? And then also, uh, am I 
working on improving other, uh, I think that was the same thing. Could you expand more what that looks like as far as uh, improving other aspects of intimacy? Thank you. I'll try, but I'm an intimacy cripple. So you don't want to learn from me a whole lot because I'm not so good at it. But we've done this time and again throughout the country world. When we say to people, oh, why don't you go for couple therapy and this and that, they'll do it. But when we tell them to have a date night, it's almost impossible to get them to have a date night that has no sex at the end of the night. And where you don't talk about your kids. Just to have a few hours together of a activity. Those who have done it will call us years later thanking us. And in our home, when I start noticing some tension, it's usually best we started skipping our date night. It seems so impossible. How can it be so important? One night, you know, but it is. Because we're so busy in our everyday life that we don't even give a couple of hours to the coupleship. Especially if you're younger and you have a lot of kids, you don't have a you don't put in time or energy in a coupleship. And then you expect miracles in your marital bed. By the way, our hour's about over. What I did last week was I closed, the, closed it, but continued to answer questions for 20, 30 minutes for people who wanted to stay. Uh, we have one more week. I'm telling you, it's one of the most important things next week that I'm going to speak about. And that's about... Most of us have had tremendous trauma in our past. And this is about forgiveness and the process of forgiveness of others. And ultimately, it's ourselves, too. So next week will be the last of this series. There are about seven more, eight more articles in a few months, if we're still in shutdown, lockdown, I will bring this up again. And Unless we persuade you before then, no? I think we can persuade you before then to carry this on while we're on a roll. Yeah, I don't think you're ready to stop, Harvey. That's, there you go. You're sponsored <laughs> spoken. I'm, I'm ready to stop. <laughs> um, But see that guy there, Malcolm, it's all his fault. 
he got me to do this. I didn't want to do it. Well, we, we, we're upgrading. We're upgrading the account for the next month, anyways. We just said, you okay. know. Then I'll, I'll list six more topics. Um, yeah. yeah. That we had. Um, I, I uh, thank you, the support. With, I need to tell you all this again. I've told it in past ones. I'm significantly dyslexic. I have such trouble writing and such trouble spelling. And for me to have written articles has nothing to do with anything other than you cannot imagine the 11th step. You can't imagine it. The 11th step where we pray only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. In a million years, I could never think that I was going to have 13 or 14 articles published for a guy like me. I, I'm okay talking. I just can't get it written. And yet I read these articles the day before to just kind of go over the article. Look at it. I can't believe I wrote it. I can't tell you this program. We're vessels. If I could just keep that going, it's worth all this difficulty. I mean, all this stuff we got to do. It's worth every second of it. Because you can't imagine in the 12 promises, it says, a new freedom and a new happiness. You can't even envision it. Yes, it's a new. But it's taken me years and years. And never compare your insides with someone else's outside. Okay? Compare you with you where you were last year or two years ago, then that gratitude will just flow in and you'll see the miracle of this program. Miraculous. And everything we can't understand, like COVID, yet a whole new aspect of recovery has emerged because of COVID. People are joining meetings and they used to have to travel an hour each way. So they'd end up going to just two meetings a week. Now they're going to one or two meetings a day. Unbelievable. And my sponsor would always say, how do you make fertilizer? out of manure and it's through gratitude. But okay, let's take a few inhales, exhales, and then we'll um, do the serenity prayer and I'll stay on the line a bit longer for those who, who can stay up late. <laughs>
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Have a good night's sleep, and I'm not ending the meeting, so uh, if you want to ask a few more questions. Go yeah, ahead. the next question is from Itamar in Israel. Go ahead, Itamar, and unmute yourself. Hey, you can hear me okay? Hey, great. Amazing. So thanks, Harvey. Uh, my question is, first of all, my name is Itamar, and I'm sexaholic. My question is about uh, this thing written in the literature, and I heard it. I heard people say it a lot of times in the in meetings that I can um, have sex only in marriage, only when I'm married. And I'm single right. I'm single right now. And uh, I was just thinking about what about me having sex. I mean, in the future when I'm gonna have a girlfriend, God willing. So why not if we're gonna love each other and gonna be together with for a couple of months so why not not have sex i mean why it needs to be uh in marriage while we, we married to each other and i'm just gonna say that i'm not religious and uh who the hell would want to go out with me if i'm gonna tell in the beginning listen i'm a sexaholic and i can't have sex with you until we're gonna get married and who knows how much time it's going to take? I mean, religious people in my community, they get married after a long, long time. And I think, I, I probably think that it's going to take a couple of good months, maybe even more than a year. I mean, when we gonna, I'm going to date this uh, girl in the future. So, yeah, I just wanted to know about that. Thanks. <laughs> The easy questions. Thank goodness, there are many S fellowships. Thank goodness, this is not a religion where there's only one true religion. You know, everybody thinks their religion is the true religion. <laughs> okay, that's not what S programs are. Luckily, there's SLAA, there's AA. SAA, there's SCA. Man, if you want to do a little stupid, go for it. But you can't call yourself sober in this program. It's that simple. It's not complicated. So you could always come, no one kicks you out. But you got to be careful you don't turn into an evangelist. I want what I want when I want it that the environment has to change for me, for me to be comfortable. No, for better, or for worse, this is what we got. And the problem for a sex addict is if, for me, I can't talk for you, is there was never enough. If you're not sober, and you think you'll stay faithful to that gal with two months, you're, I wish you luck. I couldn't stay faithful to the people I was being unfaithful with. <laughs> Who are we kidding? You wouldn't be in this program if you could handle casual sex in a 
nice little two-month relationship. You wouldn't be here. Don't take it personally, because I don't know you. I'm talking generically. But this is part of the surrender. This is what our sobriety definition is. Other groups have different ones. And luckily, no one's saying our way is the only way. It's the only way that works for me. And yes, I was celibate for almost two years. And you might find it very different woman type who's willing. And let me tell you how many guys I have sponsored through dating. Over 36 years in recovery, I have dated many a single man. For whatever reason, a lot of single men come to me to sponsor them, and they're married, and things are just real good. You mean that you've sponsored single men through dating? Just yes. to clarify. And somehow their wives are okay with it. And if they're not, they stop dating it. Not their wives, their girlfriends. So I wish you luck. <laughs> We're not against sex. We're not a pro prohibitionist fellowship. We're not against pornography. We're not against sex. We're not against. We are for sobriety, for sex addicts. So we don't go picketing to close pornography stores down. We learn how not to walk in that street so we don't end up in that pornography store. This a program isn't about who you're dating or who you're going. It's about me and my disease. And I was born this way. I was a sex addict before I even knew about sex. And most of us here were having all kinds of stuff way before we were even in puberty. Okay. Next question. Um, yeah. Ne well, I know that Mitch, this is one of the few chances that Mitch gets to speak to you through these talks because he doesn't call often. But Mitch, I sent you some messages. You won't be able to ask the question until you enable your mic. So work around over there on your side. You don't have a mic right now. You, you joined without, without maybe leave and then join again, enabling your mic, and then you can ask the next question. So go ahead, carry meanwhile. This was an inner thing because Mitch is one of my sponsees. We found that out last week, so I joined in the joke. Okay, hi, um, Harvey. Thank you for your talks. My name's Carrie. I'm from Canada, and I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Carrie. Um, I found out a month ago that I'm definitely a sexaholic and have been my whole life. So, um, but I'm... Um, uh, Anyways, I, I wanted to address something that you said that was pretty amazing. And uh, it was about how, you know, everybody 
the world is raised basically to uh, like put the man first and um, which, you know, <laughs> kind of blows my mind because all of a sudden I thought about, well, what if we were all raised the exact opposite way to put the woman first? And I was thinking about, you know, for the woman to like, if, if every man just thought about having the woman lead, start, do whatever she wanted, it would be, it would be such a different phenomenon. And, um, but because we're raised to, and the images and all those things are basically for us to put the man's uh, needs first, then in my addiction, that's, that's what happened. So how, how, how would you say from a man's perspective, what, what, what would a woman then say to make sure she does have her needs met? If that's what, you know, like what, what do the wives of the men who are sex addicts, what are, what do the women who are sex addicts say to the men to make sure that they, they can have their needs met? What do you think? It's, it's such a difficult problem because we've been programmed since we were children not to talk about sex. Not to talk about what are erotic zones. People have different erotic zones. And we're just programmed. See, this is not about sex. This is about our AA book in chapter five. It said we had to let go of our old ideas. Else it's nil, nothing. We had to let go absolutely. And that means a very difficult issue that we don't talk about here, but it's included in old ideas. It's called detachments. In your 11th step, when you start doing in-depth meditating, when you get out of the programming that the answer is prayer, See, even there, we've been programmed. Yet that step has prayer and meditation, 50-50. But you'd never know that word meditation was in there. What happens with meditation? You become mindful of all these programmed material that has become in your brain that you think is you. One of those things is, oh, to be a real feminine, polite gal, you can't tell that your husband what you want. It's tremendous programming. And yet, and vice versa, men with women. So a man will go to a prostitute and have her do all kinds of stuff but he won't talk to his wife about his own this stuff. Not that I'm suggesting he do the same stuff necessarily, but 
this is our programming. And so when you do your steps and more and more, a lot of this will be revealed. And hopefully you won't be as damaged as I am, where I actually have to pray and then become mindful with to say, God, help me move my t mouth to tell my wife this thing about sex between her and me. This is not a, um, a, an awakening instantly on everything. Or else Bill wouldn't have had to write the 12 and 12. If Bill's awakening took care of everything other than his alcohol, he wouldn't have needed to go through all these steps with his character defect. Okay? I hope I answered that a little. But basically, it's shame. Once you start becoming aware of the poisonous nature of shame, then you'll be able to talk more freely to other people. Thanks, Harvey. Okay. Okay, Mitch is now available on his phone. Go ahead and unmute your phone, Mitch. Mm, no. Can't hear you yet. Mitch? Press star six, Mitch. Star six on your phone. He had a little problem yesterday with his mic. Hi, hi guys. Sorry about that. I have to switch between apps over here and the phone. Um, you may get lucky. I, I my phone actually may die. Uh, the videos kind of killing it here. But um, Harvey, hi. Thank you so much again for these talks. Uh, so great to just get reminded of all the basics. Um, you mentioned earlier um, talking about, you know, if, if you're, um, for what, whatever reason, for one reason or another, uh, a husband and wife are um, unwilling or unable to engage in intercourse, uh, you know, talking about doing other things. And, you know, it, it's one of those rare occasions where you uh, were, would not talk explicitly about what those other things are. And I, I wanted to ask both myself, um, you, you know, I, I struggle with, I, I think, anorexia and difficulty communicating with my wife in terms of our sexuality and, and intimacy generally. But, you know, I think we're starting to learn a little bit about the difference um, between emotional int intimacy and sexuality. Um, and in my view, uh, sexual sex is the um, the result of emotional intimacy. Um, I, I think uh, the opposite, you know, emotional intimacy becoming coming out of sex for years, but that doesn't work for me. Um, but the question that I have is, both myself. Um, what are your thoughts about? Um, it, 
I guess when I, sorry, I'm having so much trouble expressing this, but it, for a number of years, and I think even now, part of what drives my thinking when I get on my knees, uh, when there's the possibility of physical intimacy with my wife, uh, the thinking is, um, let me be of service. Let me be here to connect with my wife and to be giving. Um, so that seems to uh, contradict or, or conflict with the possibility of one or the other getting satisfaction without the other, you know, enjoying. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts about the sex addict, not the wife, not the spouse, uh, the non-sex addict spouse, but what are your thoughts about the sex addict, you know, uh, in my case, and I'll talk specifically, my wife is not particularly sexual. Um, I think she, just like I, would like to have sex more often than we do, but there are times when she's just not interested. If, let's say, for example, we were to set a weekly schedule, what would your thoughts be I think we lost his phone. Mitch, I'm going to answer. Yeah, his phone died, but we can. Yeah, this, you triggered off something in my mind that's important. Sometimes sex is just going to be getting laid. Thank you. Okay, let's not pretty all this shit up. Excuse my language, but the official meeting's over. Sometimes sex is just sex. We're biological animals. Now, I have been fortunate to have sponsors teach me some very important things, like how to put my hand behind my wife's back and picture God's light going through my back and out my chest, to her chest, into my hand and around but I don't always remember to do that. You know, progress, not perfection. Okay? Now, it's comfort. So there are certain behaviors I've done in my marital bed. And then the next morning, I call my sponsor and I said, that didn't feel right. And so naturally, I did it again the next time. And I call it, it doesn't feel right. Finally, I said to myself, if you do it one more time, and you have to call them, why don't you need to get ready to put that on the bottom line? It's disturbing your comfort. This is about comfort, not what is the right position, what's the wrong position, what's right or wrong or moral or not moral. <laughs> this is about comfort. We cannot risk getting uncomfortable, whether it's financially or sexually, or meaning worrying, because our default is lust. So the steps... The spiritual awakening is to help us experience comfort. Then lust is not a big deal. And these poor women, I can't talk for sex addict, you know, women or women in general, 
but I can do some generality. These women who are married to us are trying to compete with these make-believe porno women. And I would imagine for a woman, it's the same thing. She's getting some porno guy, and then no guy's ever going to live up to this porno guy. First of all, it's a theatrical production. People aren't stimulants. People get their throats numbed. Most people can't handle a, a tongue depressor in their throat. They gag. How do you think this is? This is all phony por pornography. Sometimes they do other kinds, but let me tell you, these are theatrical productions. They're actresses and actors. And they get props. And we bring that home expecting that from a spouse. No spouse can ever compete with that. It's, it's not real. By the way, to qualify, I tell this story <coughs> frequently. Someone in Nashville said, if you ever get into such shame over what you've done in your sexual acting out, and the only way out is to kill yourself, before you kill yourself, go to a meeting and say what you have done. And if Harvey's at the meeting, he will tell you how you, he has done it at least three times. And you'll leave that meeting feeling wonderful. <laughs> you name it, I've done it. It's a drug. I always needed a higher dose. And I was never aware of it. It's just another drug addiction. And it's not easy. It's not easy for cocaine addicts. It's not easy for heroin addicts. We don't even have to go and buy the stuff most of the time. We could just go into a bathroom and have a fantasy. Okay. So about sex and marriage, and Mitch was talking about this. A lot of times, sometimes you just need to have the therapist work with you on some of these issues. If it's too difficult to really get going with, that's part of surrender rather than struggling. The surrender is, hey, let's bring this to some reputable sex therapist to work with us on. That's part of Surrenders. Don't think I've been able to get my 36 years and seven months sobriety by just doing meetings for God. Let God send me for all kinds of therapies, codependency treatment, 
uh, group therapy for a couple of years, rolfing, uh, healing, you name it, rebirthing, you name it, I've tried it in recovery. And you know what? It's all part of my story. And for me, I needed a lot of different things, but it was all part of my steps. Letting go, surrendering, and knowing I needed more help. And this applies to people in the program who fight their mental illnesses and refuse to take medication when a doctor's prescribed it. So it has a lot of aspects to it. Okay, next question. Oh, we're over in that half hour. Whew. One last question. Okay, so Sri in India, you have a question? Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you, Daniel. And thank you, Harvey, once again. Yeah, hi. Uh, Harvey, I've been following all your uh, all these sessions from the start, and they've been really, really wonderful. Uh, and my name is Sri. I'm a grateful recovering psychologist from India. I've been just uh, a few months sober. I, today, I finished uh, four months. And uh, as you as you beautifully said, that if something that COVID gave India is a fellowship of essay. We never had one before. It is purely because of uh, the COVID the situation that we could get connected with the likes of you and uh, Dennis and others who started inviting us to their meetings and then we formed our own group here. Uh, uh, there's a part of question that I'll come to, but then uh, since we were discussing about sex and marriage, my, my, I, I realized uh, during my first stint of sobriety that I was not in a position to have any sort of, uh, any type of sex with my wife without feeling lust. Uh, so, what I, well, my wife already knows about my disease, so she's been always uh, helpful. The thing I told her was that since I am, I am not supposed to lust, uh, I, I let go of all those thoughts and I have, uh, what we have decided is that uh, whenever she's in the mood, uh, she needs to start it because she can never expect me to initiate it. That's the kind of agreement that we have been uh, uh, working on for these months. And for some reason, it has worked well. I feel good about uh, however things are. But the question that I had is for the people whom I'm sponsoring now, uh, those who are not married, but they enter into the program with a committed relationship. How do we define their sobriety? It's defined the same way. No sex outside of marriage. That's not complicated. They're not sober if they're not married. It doesn't okay. mean they so, can't so, come. It doesn't mean they can't get come to meetings. But if they're not sober, they can't hold offices, um, etc. This is not to make it tough on single people. This is the program we inherited. <laughs> I agree, right. And there are other programs that you do define your own sobriety. Let me explain that a bit. AA defines sobriety, okay? It says, 
not to drink alcohol. OA, Overeaters Anonymous, you and your sponsor work out your own sobriety plan. What abstinence is, okay? So there are some programs that it's defined and some programs where you and your sponsor work on it. Same thing in SA. There's different programs. Some programs you define your own sobriety with the help of your sponsor. They call circles, etc. Our program is just straight down the line. No sex with self or no sex outside your marriage. And, you know, it's, it's rather simple. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, or believe it or not, it's our unity. It's what we have that's unity. We share it together. So how, how, how about, my part to ask is, because unfortunately, SA itself is very new in India. We are hardly uh, 100 people here. SLA and other forms of uh, groups are not there. So is it okay from us uh, as a sponsor to tell the sponsors that this is what they have to stick with, either take it or leave it? Um, what happened in Nashville was we started SA. There were two of us. One guy started, I came in. And after a year, people got sobriety. And one broke away and started SOAA. One broke away and started SAA. There's the issues come up with homosexuality too. It's a little complicated. So, but this is not like religion. We don't say our way is the only way. If someone needs another type of program, they need another type of program. I needed a very strict program. One of the S fellowships, that good fellowship, but you define how often you could masturbate. I can't masturbate successfully, even one time. It produces a phenomenon of craving. So, you know, we just don't have to give it a whole lot of thought or worry. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you. God will bring you to the meetings who you need, whether they believe what you say or don't. At least you had a meeting that day. He's brought you. Okay. That's it. Next week, forgiveness. And um, any parting words from Malcolm or Daniel you want to add, his co-host, anything? I think this is one of the most important talks that, that and I've, I've listened to nearly all of your stuff, and this has just been really, this is going in my top 10 essay talks. So thank you. I just nope. want to conclude, I guess, with, I'm just so worried that we have expectations of ourselves that aren't realistic. You know, sex and marriage 
it's not going to work out every time. It's not going to be this spiritual ecstasy. It's sex and marriage. Just like having a good meal. Every good meal doesn't have to be a sirloin steak or a ribeye or whatever. <laughs> there are good meals, there are better meals. Every bowel movement doesn't have to be perfect. We're human beings who have a drug addiction where we don't need a chemical from the outside to shoot up. We make it in our brain. And it's real simple. And it's progress, not perfection. Because the minute you do it perfectly, you have then become God. Once you become God, you don't need a God. And that's a very lonely place to be in recovery. You don't need other people. You don't need a God. You don't need steps. You're perfect. So an aspect of spirituality, one of the main aspects is our imperfection. And that's what changes what we do from lectures into sharing. We share our experience, strength, and hope. That's all we got to share. Thank Bye, you. everyone. Love you all. Bye. Love you, too. Thanks, Harvey. Thank you, Thank, thank you very much, Harvey. Bye-bye. Daniel, can you send me someone's requested recordings? And when you send them to me, do I just forward them to him? Yes, of course. I'll send you that. I'll send you the link, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. It was a great one. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. Good night, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. See you next week. Thank you, Harvey. See you next week. Harvey, Harvey, just don't act out between now and next week, okay? No, between now and tomorrow. I just work one day at a time, man. A week is too long. Ben, Twenty-four hours. Okay. <laughs> just right. whatever you do, man. Don't don't act out. Harvey, can I jump in with a question? <laughs> you make a deal with me. You don't act out. I don't act yeah. out. Okay. Oh, I can't control that. I can't control the not acting out. What? I can't control the not acting out. Uh, but you, <laughs> I can what only can do the do? steps. What can you do? I can uh, do my evening inventory, meditation, call my sponsor. I'm going to tell you another one that I was guaranteed not to act out when I got sober. The moment I wake up, I make a two-way contract with my higher power. I say, God, today I will not have sex with self and sex outside my marriage. God, help me not have sex with self and sex outside my marriage. 
I'm not promising you tomorrow, but today I'm okay. They told me when you do a two-way contract, you're guaranteed that day. And how does that work? Does God come down and guarantee your part? He lets you pick up a telephone and other things for that 24 hours. You don't act out if your ass falls off. For 24 hours, that's it. You can handle a tack in your shoe if you know it's there for just 24 hours. And if you're not willing, that's okay. God's going to love you anyway. But go and really do it. Why waste your time torturing yourself? You want to act out, man? Go for it. <laughs> if it's working, go for it. Didn't work for me. All right. You have one more second. I know it's late. <laughs> Wait. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay. You know, I do so many favors for my wife, and what I consider a favor is something that's outside my comfort zone. Visiting somebody in the hospital with her, I hate going to hospitals. You did something for your wife outside your comfort zone. You played um, Rummy. Okay. Why can't I consider having sex with my wife a favor and say, hey, honey, can you do me a favor and let's have sex? <laughs> well, what's stopping you? Oh, I do it. She's, she's not interested in having sex with me at this point. I mean, I have uh, a little bit more than 18 months of sobriety, and she still wants to remain you know, celibate. Well, I know I can identify with 21 months for me, but right. it's counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, I, I didn't mention uh, after about two years of only having my wife ask, she one day said, I don't like asking. And I was still afraid that I'd go back my old way. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, let's alternate. The problem was she's not that interested in sex. So she never kept track of it. I knew the exact time <laughs> was the last time. I'm exactly. So then we alternated. And after many years, we let it go to um, where I was asking. Better the difference today over the years that she couldn't get over was when she would say, no, I don't feel like it today. I would not go into a rage. And I'm able to, to be okay. Thank you. So I'm going to tell you one little thing. How sick I am. One day, one of my sponsees, this happened maybe five, six years ago, said, oh, I was planning to have sex with my wife and I, but I got a cold, so I'm not going to have sex with her. And he, I said, you mean you don't have sex with your wife when you have a cold? And he said, no. I had to learn that. With all my sobriety, I had to learn that. Past many, many years, if I had even a sniffle, I'd tell my wife on a regular time, 
I, I'd like a rain check. Basically, he never occurred enough to have sex if he had a cold. Mm-hmm. This is a real process for me and for what I've seen for, for people. One awakening after another. That was a spiritual awakening for me. Something I'd never seen before. And it just keeps, keeps getting better. My sponsor would say the outside turns to shit a lot of times. But it gets better. What's inside? How I'm responding to what's happening on the outside. It gets better. Thank you. Mark, it's so great from Germany to see your response to this talk. Mark's really into this talk. And glad to see it. I would have answered that question so differently. How would have you answered it then? From so well, that's you know, sex isn't about favors. It's about a, an emotional connection, and I used up all those favors for many, many years of active addiction in the bedroom. That's you know, that's not my relationship with her anymore. That's I can't have that relationship with her. I can't have a relationship with which is based on sex being a favor because then I'm just the little boy asking for ice cream, and we don't have a relationship then. I'd rather have no sex. I mean, that, that, the commitment that I made when I came into recovery was that sex was never going to be about favors anymore, even if that means that we don't have sex. My, Daniel, my wife could live very happily without any sex. As mine can also. Okay. She, I know. She's just not, it's not on her mind. It's not that she's against it. It's not on her mind. I don't say, can you do me a favor? It's a nice point. But she's doing me a favor. She is because she really doesn't. You know, if I die today, she's not going she's going to miss me, hopefully, not having sex with me. She'll probably be relieved. What we are so so into our male programming. How do you think it feels? My wife says, I have someone do this to you. I'm going to be more explicit, a smaller thing. My wife <laughs> says to me, you could be replaced with a finger. All they care about is their clitoris, most women. But they don't tell you that on pornography. And oral sex? If you haven't had it happen to you, let me tell you, it doesn't feel so great. All these distortions. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, like, I was willing to do a favor. I don't say this is a favor, but it's unwritten in a way. You know, this concept of feminism has gotten things a little rough. A male, a woman, regretfully, she doesn't have to be significantly aroused to have children. It's all about, sex is really about children for the world to survive, okay? So 
But a man needs an arousal. A man needs certain hormonal issues to happen for him to propagate. Erections are a physiological reality. And how do we, we know that because as Jess would say, one of the ways you know people are recovering is they start getting wet dreams. <laughs> That's what happens for some people. We never had wet dreams because we were masturbating all the time. But Jess also said that there's 250 something steps towards sex and, that, and, and that's the emotional connection. And that's, that's you know, that is, that, that's what makes sex meaningful for a woman. On the other hand. But that's the male's perspective again, Daniel. We don't know what makes it meaningful for a woman until a woman tells us, our woman, not right. women, our woman. Right. And that's so hard to get from a relationship. Uh, so I'm not arguing with you. I'm essentially saying that. But steps... Uh, you know, Dress was my sponsor for 10 years, at least. And he had the most phenomenal sobriety. But it was his sobriety. He had a judgmentalism sobriety. Driving. And he also didn't have sex with his wife for the last 10, 15 years. Yes. I didn't. I wasn't going to say that. Thank you. Yeah. So, so it was very, very different. Yeah. Also, physiologically, women's vaginas start shriveling up that muscle and it gets harder for them to have sex as they get older. Luckily, they have all these hormone creams now that help women's vaginal area with that muscle. They don't teach us that. No one tells us these things. You know, I was beating myself up because every time I tried, it was like I was married to a virgin princess again. And I couldn't understand it. Finally, I suggested you go get, get checked too. This is a taboo subject in society and especially in our program. In Nashville, we would have breakout meetings on sex and marriage. For years, off and on, we had them. These are one of the taboo questions, of the topics. And as I said in my first talk, the other taboo is what is sex with self? The most important questions we tend to not talk about. So, you know, put it there or here, but I, I'm never going to get this sex perfect, man. Never. I'm going to take my addiction to my grave. But you know what? I do not actively lust today. I get such crazy thoughts coming to my head for a moment, but I let them go 
and I don't pursue them, but I'm going to die with these crazy thoughts, aberrant thoughts. That's how God made me. And part of our, an aspect of spirituality is embracing me. Embracing me and knowing this is a tough subject. I talk about it because hopefully you'll get it. When you stand on someone's shoulders, you see further than that person. It's taken me almost four decades. We had no one to stand on shoulders about this subject. But we had one man. We didn't talk about it, but, but it's in his writings, Roy. What's the secret message in the writings? He kept saying, in my periods of abstinence, which meant he was having sex, because you can't have periods of abstinence if you're not having sex. Periods of abstinence. So we know sex is part in a SA program. Or anorexia is the other side. And it's much easier for men not to deal with this subject. In their marriage, a lot of times to just not have any sex or they end up preoccupied about sex. But man, are we going way over? And um, no one's going to leave until you kill the room. So it's all on you, Harvey. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.